Hello and welcome to the next edition of the People Behind the Tech podcast. We're a direct collaboration between the Leaders Performance Institute and our friends at SBJ Tech. I'm John Porch, the editor at the Leaders Performance Institute, and just like in our previous two outings, I'm joined by SBJ Tech senior writer, Joe Lemire. Hey Joe, are you ready for round three? Born ready. <laughs> Glad to hear it. And now we've got a great guest lined up for our third episode. It's M.T. Eisner, the U.S. Applied Performance Specialist Manager at the industry-leading analytics firm Kitman Labs. M.T. has an extensive sports performance background and worked for the best part of a decade supporting student-athletes in college athletics. For example, for eight years she served as the Assistant Director of Sports Performance at the University of Colorado Boulder. And she's now been at Kitman Labs since 2021 and has been in her current role for about a year. MT, you're very welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Thank you, John. Thank you, Joe, for having me. I am fabulous. The sun is finally shining here in Denver, so very happy to uh, be joining you this morning. And we're delighted to have you with us. And for the record, the sun is actually shining in London today. Who knows if that will be the case when we actually <laughs> publish this episode, but here and now, the sun is shining. And on that note, Joe, if you're primed and ready with the first question, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for, for being here, MT. Uh, I've started our previous two podcasts with this one, and I'll, I'll make it three. I guess we can call it a tradition now. What technology do you use in your own daily life for your own fitness? What have you found to be important? To What, what metrics do you keep track of for yourself? Okay, so what metrics or what technology? I guess it's all kind of Both. the same. So I love my Garmin watch. I've been utilizing Garmin for many years now. Um, and I love the Garmin watch. And essentially, I I pay the most attention to heart rate, even though heart rate for females with hormone activation isn't as always accurate as it needs to be. But heart rate as well as sleep and stress. So the levels of stress in relation to heart rate is always a great one uh, with that as well. And then Garmin also has a menstrual cycle tracking which I utilize for my regular training as well. As far as your background, I, I noticed that you uh, have some some publishing background at the very beginning here. You almost <laughs> were an ink-stained wretch like uh, John and I. What? How did you get into sport performance, and uh, you know what prompted that career shift? Yeah, so you'll actually love this. Uh, my undergrad was in journalism, so I worked for the school newspaper. I was a sports editor for the online section of the school newspaper for two years during my undergrad while playing Division I soccer. And that is a fun fact that not many people know about me. <laughs> so my very bizarre path into sport, essentially, I, so I played a Division I sport. I played at Fairfield University. I played soccer. And that was my first exposure to performance to the SNC side. And honestly, it wasn't until about my junior, halfway through my junior year, where it really clicked that I could permanently work in sport, had never really thought about it as just was something I've always done. But I was already so far down this track of being, I was a communication journalism major, and I love publishing, I love to read, all that kind of bit. So I pursued that in terms of, you know, was already on that track, was already kind of down that road. And I worked for a large publishing company in New York City. And while it was fantastic, it just did not fill that void for me. And that void was sport, kept coming back to it, kept, you know, consistently being involved with it. And once again, when you're involved with something for so long, right, let's kind of follow that passion here a little bit empty. So uh, I actually went back to school while I was working in New York City in order to get the credits to go get my master's and then was able and very fortunate to get accepted into one of the first 
master's program that is just strength and conditioning based. So it actually brought me back out to Colorado, um, which is where I'm from. I never thought I'd permanently live in Colorado, which is comical. And that, that's kind of it. <laughs> so I came back <laughs> out, started my master's program, and it was very clearly, this was my calling to get back in. So I got back in through the performance side, the SNC side, and um, did several stints at various universities here in Colorado. And then, as you mentioned, landed my most permanent time at the University of Colorado. Mm-hmm. And obviously, y- you doing so, it was about 10 years ago where things were in, in this country starting to advance quite a bit, where strength and conditioning was becoming a, a much more widespread profession and certainly more sub-disciplines uh, emerging. You know, where did you find your little niche within that larger S&C world? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm going to answer your question in just a second, but I think it's really important because you kind of hit on it with SNC, you know, relatively growing over the last 10 to 20 years in particular. But as a woman, I think it's really important to mention that when I was in my undergrad and going into college, that sports performance world, like it exists now, did not exist in the capacity where you're a high school athlete and going to the gym or having like a strength coach at your high school was a thing. And I'm so happy that it is now because as a woman, that's mostly your time, your first exposure into the sport. And most of the female strength coaches I know were collegiate athletes. That was their first exposure to strength and conditioning, to sport performance. And I think it's that was a really wonderful thing that has flourished women in the field in general, that now we're seeing this shift of women having that experience earlier based on that high school athletics or based on these performance institutes being much more widely known or sports science being much more widely known, which is very exciting. So to kind of shift slightly, my niche really came into the female physiology, right? So um, in my time as a strength coach, I was, other than one, three months in, I was the only female on my staff at any place that I was at. And not that I worked with both co-ed sports, but really kind of drawing into this, all right, something's going on with the female physiology that we're missing or that we're not tapping into or research is happening and we're just not being able to relay that information. And the nice thing is, is when you get established and you're able to kind of get into your routines, when you're able to have a system or an AMS that allows you a little bit more time and freedom to do that research, really dove into menstrual cycle periodization for my female athletes and found just this wonderful pulse of energy in terms of being able to really assist those female athletes in finding that next level of tapping into their own female physiology as well. It should be noted that you and I first met on a, a panel about female physiology uh, a year ago. To be clear, Absolutely. I was moderating. She was one of the experts. <laughs> um, and you know, when did when you first started to find that sort of pulse of energy? When you first started to realize that there was something more you could do to help a female athlete? Like, how? First of all, I'm sure a lot of your athletes you know, just may have been skittish talking about it, probably never been asked about monthly cycles in the context of performance. How did those conversations start and what were some of the first areas where you're able to see gains? First, obviously, like I do with everything, experimented on myself for a while, did all the research I needed to, called all the people I wanted to, to kind of really lay the land. Because you've got one shot, in my opinion, to really make this effective, especially with something as uh, quote unquote taboo as it could be in our society. And I think a lot of it comes down to just the piece of education, right? So taking this approach of, all right, let me first talk with the team doctors, head coaches, 
athletic trainers, sports supervisors, make sure that they all know what my plan is, what my goal is. So, right, I want to not only track this, but this is what I think the results will be. This is how we're going to use it on a daily basis. This is how we're going to report back to it, right? So I'm not just going to do this frivolously as an experiment. We're going to really take some tangible actions and hopefully find something really important and really valuable here. So that was step one. I feel very fortunate because the University of Colorado is really progressive and innovative. And every single person I talked to was like, this is amazing. Go forth, do great things, report back on what you find. So no roadblocks in terms of internal kind of red tape. And then just spent quality time with the athletes in terms of education, right? Going back to the basics. These are the hormones at play. This is what actually happens. This is what research tells us should happen when we have these spikes in estrogen, when these spikes in progesterone, right? In relation to cognitive, physical, emotional functionality. And this is how we're going to start playing with it. Um, and that education piece was the biggest crutch of it because most of those women came out of it saying, I have never heard this. I had no idea. Or, wow, that you just kind of like opened up this whole new perspective of maybe something that's happened in my past as well, that now we need to kind of not self-correct, but I really want to explore, right? So in terms of that education piece was the biggest part. And then of course, all of it was voluntary. At any point, you could choose to divulge as much or as little as you wanted. But kind of my standpoint to the athletes and my standpoint to anybody who I kind of consult on this with now is if we're going to make you better, I got to know what's going on. Right. And that includes what birth controls you're on. That includes past history with secondary amenorrhea or delayed menarche, bone stress injuries, right? Things of that nature. And of course, that can come over time through trust and through all that. But most of the athletes right from the get-go were all in, right? Anything, it's kind of this like thing where it's like they're all elite in their own right. And a lot of those athletes at the University of Colorado go on to be professional athletes. And at that point, they were like, if this is going to be my little key, if this is going to be a trick, why wouldn't I try it out? And so it was, I, I was in the right place at the right time with the right people to really have a, I feel a quality impact on it. And you mentioned calling around to, to your own sort of experts to sort of inform your thinking, but I'm sure even 10 years ago, there weren't that many in that space. And I know that the stat, uh, that, you know, the, about the division of how much sports performance research is exclusively on women and it's a single digit number, I believe it's, I mean, it's staggeringly low and that's starting to yeah. change. We're starting to see that. How much has that grown? Have you done any particular studies yourself as well? No, I haven't. <laughs> Isn't that so oh, horrible quite to all say? Right. It has grown. The conversation has grown. Uh, but here's the curious part. Has the conversation grown because I'm in that circle or has the conversation genuinely grown? But I'd like to think the conversation has genuinely grown because even within Kitman, we talk about it consistently within any of the organizations that we're helping. How can we assist with this? Or are they, you know, we had this organization want to now start tracking menstrual cycles or starting to do X, Y, and Z with their athletes. Who else is doing this? What conversations are we having? Who can we tap into? So on and so forth. But me personally, I have not been involved in any direct research, no. Well, when you're in the in the trenches with the athletes, it's probably hard <laughs> to manage that as well. Uh, and you clearly have been working for an Irish company for a while because you said X, Y, and Z. I, I did. I know. I was hoping you may or may not have picked up on that. <laughs> loud and clear well i'm an irish citizen so i can get behind that so <laughs> <laughs> there we go you uh you mentioned at, at the onset uh using garmin for your own tracking and certainly um 
uh, some of these other devices like Whoop and Aura, have, you know, Aura in particular have made that a priority. And then whether it's the Orco's Fitter Woman and Wild AI, I mean, there's definitely some more technological support around this. A- any of those that you've you've seen particularly good results with, any that I've missed, how much has that helped inform this picture and personalize the, the training regimens? Yeah, absolutely. And I will caveat this by saying it all, it entirely depends on what sphere or what realm you're in, right? But I love the Fitter Woman app. I recommended that to my athletes all the time, mainly because it was a one-stop shop that gave you nutrition, physical, emotional responses as well. So, hey, you're in this phase of your cycle. Here are some quick tips on better things to eat this week. Here are some recipes as well as some tips on how you should be exercising, lifting, so on and so forth. So I thought it was the best encompassing one-stop shop app. It also, I know this sounds funny, but it also is the one that predicted the start of my cycle. It predicts the start of my cycle better than any of the other ones, which is interesting. But Aura, I love Aura's heart rate is really, really accurate. And thermoregulation is a huge contributing factor too of knowing when you're going to start your physical bleed. And so the, the aura ring with in terms of like that heart rate is actually really effective as well. Broadly speaking, you certainly weren't only working with female athletes. And not only that, you were working <laughs> with many different sports. Just yeah. how how challenging is it in that university setting where you might be the, the performance coach for you know six different sports, maybe more, you know, across different disciplines and even like even say within like swimming or track and field, you might have so many different, you know, pursuits that need catering. Like what a, what a challenge, what kind of a challenge is it to, to manage a program in that setting? So to manage working with different athletes in different sports? Yeah, just to make sure they all have the individualized support that they need when there's <laughs> so much <laughs> discrepancy in, in what those needs are. As I slightly giggle. <laughs> the one that, the, early on in my career, I think you get really excited about, all right, everything can be individualized, specialized to like an absolute T. And then you realize real quick, if I'm working with 220 athletes, that's a real fast way for me to burn myself out. Right. Um, I also think there's a different component of sometimes in this performance world, strength coaches tend to change their programming because the strength coach gets bored with the programming, not necessarily the athlete. And sometimes taking yourself out of that bigger picture and, and actually just putting no matter what sport you pay, lumping them into different qualities. So either whether that's like a training age, right? So I have individuals who have never lifted before. Fantastic. So I have maybe three separate programs that they might all go on for that general GPP based on the sport that they're in, right? So I'm not going to put a distance athlete who's a beginner, but the same as a football athlete who was a beginning athlete, right? But at the same time, we both know that they're going to have massive hypertrophy growth. They're going to have massive strength gains really quick. So I can at least fill that bucket. And then as well as different movement or physical qualities, right? So if I have my power athletes, they're probably going to be lumped the same, whether that's a power athlete and lacrosse, or that's a power athlete as a sprinter, um, as well as like, right, my same thing, different qualities. So kind of being able to take programming from a holistic view. And then of course, the minute we have that program set, I can cater it to you on a specific level. And the nice thing is, is for the most part, when you get in, it's like, all right, we're going to throw everything at the wall, see what sticks. And then as you get to know your athletes, as you see them move, it's so easy to tweak little things here and there. And then everybody, obviously within four to six months, has their own program because you've just made little tweaks along the way. 
that work for that athlete that make that athlete move a little bit better or that you've just seen like better results with that athlete. So it's just, it's kind of taking a holistic view and making it a little bit more granular, but not being afraid to go back to this global view of looking at the athlete um, and putting them kind of in buckets with others despite the sport that they play. Well put. And I imagine this is where uh, I sort of asked that question to lead into this, that I imagine that's where like a tech platform such as a Kitman or other athlete management yeah. systems probably start playing a large role in, in terms of managing that surveillance and saving you lots of time, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It was nice to be able to put benchmarks into a system. So we're going to sit down and we did this at CU is we're going to sit down and say, all right, for my lacrosse attack athletes, what would be my elite spectrum for my football running backs? What would be my elite spectrum? All right. And being able to now take all these qualities, let's weight them, create benchmarks, and then we can stick everything into an AMS. And now we're going, and we use Kitman. And so now we're going to be able to quickly layer things on top of each other to see where my qualities match up. Right. So we have this athlete, the power athlete, fantastic. Um, we see that with his markers, but he's really lacking or she's really lacking maybe just some cardiac output for whatever test we're doing or some global posterior chain strength, right? So now we know because we have that quick visual where we can kind of um, utilize or we can pinpoint that function a little bit better. The wonderful thing too, I will say about utilizing Kitman Labs when we had it, or this you so let us have it, but it freed up my time. It was actually amazing. So I it took a little bit, right? Because you've got all your Excel spreadsheets. They all do exactly what you want them to do because you've spent all of this time building them. But now I had a document for GPS, document for wellness, a document for menstrual cycles, for Nordboard or Vault, like hamstring, for my Forsex testing. I had all these different components. It took time to plug and play everything, but it was my system. And until I got them all into Kitman, and was able to layer everything on top of each other in a way that made sense to me, it freed up my time to then say, all right, I really want to now focus on menstrual cycles more. Let me go run with this because I've just freed up two hours of my time by utilizing this AMS system. So really kind of being able to, to take that on top of that, sorry, I'm going to keep going, um, is being able to really then say, how can we benchmark our athletes against each other in a very objective way? Right. So, yes, we can say, right, we're not just looking at football against football, but we're looking at the quality of all of the athletes at the university and saying, all right, do we have layers of what we're going to deem our peak athletic performance that we can match then all of our athletes to rather than just having specific sports benchmarks? So lots of fun things that you can kind of utilize once you get into those systems. And you mentioned monitoring technologies there. Like, What are some of the areas that, you know, if you were to start a, a program for from scratch, you know, what <laughs> one, what what would be the must-haves, and you know, what are maybe some areas that are usually overlooked? So we had this conversation internally the other day. I had it off the cuff with one of my colleagues where he was like, "You have five technologies that you can choose. That's all you get to do. What do you want?" So if we're talking just technology, because my first answer would always be, "I'd want more staff and I'd want more space." <laughs> um, <laughs> if you're starting any performance, I always just. I'd want more staff, right? Invest in good quality staff because outside of that, you can do anything else you want. But a, a GPS component is always really, really crucial. I love utilizing a wearable technology if the athlete is willing and able to do it because the wearable technologies do tell you a ton. So once again, 
a Garmin or a Whoop or an Aura Ring, something of that nature, because then we can hone in on sleep and we can hone in on recovery a little bit better in general. I love the Vault technologies because it kind of encompasses the whole packaging of the Norboard, the growing or the force frame, not the growing bar anymore. Um, and, and the force decks, right? Having that force plate, the force plate is a really, really big one for me. I think force plate, we utilize it a ton. The force plates tell you, it gives you so much quality feedback uh, in terms of where your athletes are, especially in your programming gains as well. And then I'm a huge component of VBT. So I love velocity-based training. I think it's a great and fantastic way to train in the weight room. It's You can take it outside onto the field. It's an extremely effective technology as well. So those were kind of be my, my big buckets. That's great. John, I'll defer to you for this next one. Yeah, thank you very much, Joe. MT, I'd like to ask you, now that you've been at Kitman Labs and previously, of course, you were at the University of Colorado, were there issues from your days working in performance, working as a performance coach? Were there issues that bothered you that you're now in a position to better answer? So I use this quote a lot. I say it a ton. The grass isn't always greener, it's fake. And I think it's really important because in so many circumstances, you can say this, whatever this area that I'm in, whether it's my actual roles and responsibility, it's the institution I'm at, it's the organization, um, it's the people I work with, no matter what it is, right? There's always going to be something that's, that's just could be better, right? But that's not saying that if I go over here to this organization or this institution in the same role, that the grass is greener. It's just fake right? You're going to have those different components. I went from an intense athletic sporting world to a technology company where we hire performance experts. So it's, it's kind of, you just have to flip the whole thing. The really wonderful thing it has afforded is, so we work obviously with large professional NCAA organizations, not large and small. And one of the interesting things that we consistently hear from all of our customers who are coming to us is we just need to find a better way to be organized internally, to communicate better, to have our individual departments speaking to each other better, to share data more effectively, so on and so forth. And that theme resonates across the board. What's interesting with that is then being able to take personal experience, obviously. So I I was at CU and had Kitman rolled out through CU. So I have a personal experience in terms of how that went, or maybe how we could have tweaked that, or maybe various structures within our own department that might have been in better place or were in a really good place that made it effective, right? But now being able to take a look at any of these other organizations and say, all right, they look similar or they're kind of functioning similar to X, Y, and Z, who we tried this tactic with, or we suggested this area, and it was really effective. And being able to share kind of those internal lessons or not, you know, or even just suggestions with other organizations has been extremely effective. Uh, and being able to then kind of actually make that change, right? Because that, for the most part, if you're coming and you're going to utilize a product like Kitman Labs, you're ready for a change, right? You're ready for something that's going to really bolster your institution. And so a lot of the times, which is really wonderful, those organizations are also very vulnerable in saying, we just need help. We need help figuring out who's going to talk to who, how it's going to be efficient. And this is where you guys come into play. And that's what's really wonderful about the position I'm in now is we get to see so many different pockets, so many different organizations and how they're managed and ran and being able to take various things from them and help our, continue to help our customers um, moving forward. That's great to hear. And in, in light of that, in light of your response, 
how and in what ways do you seek to plug into a team or organization's workflow? Because that's the thing we're always hearing from teams in elite sports is that their workflows are such a huge issue for them. And you're coming in from the outside ostensibly. How do you then plug in to help them with their performance issues? Some of the things that you are describing. So it takes a lot of discovery. A lot of time sitting down with those organizations, finding out A, what they're currently doing. And from what they're doing, what is working, what's not working, and what is their ideal state, right? But knowing that in a bunch of different areas, what's your ideal state? And then we're able to really effectively kind of go back and make a plan for them on the workflow. Here's the biggest thing, is that anytime you're going to introduce any sort of new technology, it's going to change a workflow. Right. So once again, I was talking earlier how I utilize my Excel documents and I had it down to a T, but MT utilized it the only way MT did. And I could send it to somebody else, but they're not going to have the same efficiencies that I would. Right. So in any of these circumstances, it's a change. And we have to first off talk about the fact that it is going to actually be a little bit more front end work to have a long term success on it. And that is a really big key contributor because you get into a system and it's it just, no matter what, it's not going to be the workflow you've always done, even if it is going to be more efficient over time. So it's sitting down with each practitioner and really saying, all right, what do you, what do you do first thing in the day, right? How does your day, how does your daily flow go? How does your brain work in regards to that daily flow? And then let's tailor our onboarding or our training or whatever our system is to match that. But that's going to be different maybe than the person that you're sitting next to. And so we're taking the time to kind of really hone in on all of those. And then from a top-down organization-wide saying, all right, if I'm the GM or if I'm the athletic director or if I'm the president, what are you wanting from this? And what are the reports that you want to get back from this? How are you wanting this? Like, What's your vision as well to, to operate in? And a lot of those times, those questions, when we ask them, we get a lot of, I've never thought about that. Or that's been, like, I don't know. I actually don't know, which is amazing. Because then it's like, great, let's let them work on this together and say, like, all right, what is really important to you during this time frame? Or what report is the most important report that you want to see? Or, right, so then really being able to hone in on their priorities and then being able to make a flow that kind of works for them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And do they ever surprise you with their questions? Do they ever make oh, you think? All the time. <laughs> all the time. All the time. I tell my team this because sometimes they'll come back and be like, I got like, I got super stumped in this call or they asked something and they're like, and it totally threw me off guard because I should know how that works. And I was like, it happens to me all the time where you like, right, you know, the technology, you know, the system, you know, how everything works, how it talks to each other but you're not in their brain and what they need is something very specific. And so there's plenty of times where they'll ask a question. I'll be like, I've got an answer, but you just threw me off my loop a little bit. So let me take, take a step outside, come back and I've got a solution for you. So it's just a lot of, you know, once again, we're here to problem solve, which is a really fun thing and a, a, actually a really, really enjoyable thing about our job that the majority of um, our performance experts really, we love finding solutions which means that we also love problem solving. So it's it's good times had by all. <laughs> how long do you usually embed with a you know a new customer that you're onboarding? How, you know, and, and how long does that process take? That is a loaded question. <laughs> 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 um, and my answer, I hate giving this answer. It depends. 
it depends on how many, if we're just dealing with medical, if we're dealing with medical and performance, if we have medical performance and coaching staff. So if we have the whole gambit, right? But let's say that you're also talking a, um, you know, a, a football club in Europe who has, we're talking first team all the way through all of academies. So not only do we have to embed with the GM, the president, but we're also then doing the managers of all of those teams, the performance staff for all of those teams, the academy directors, the high performance directors, the medical staff. Right. So it it can be wildly encompassing to something as um, simple as just a medical side for a performance institute. And maybe we only have two individuals that we really need to train and onboard and work with. So it, it just depends. And it also, each of those organizations, we have a different approach in terms of what's going to work best for their onboarding. But the nice thing is, is we're, we're like the 24-7 constant support. So you always have somebody that you can kind of come back to, reel in, answer questions, and then cycle back through if you need to. And what about your education process? When you're talking to teams and individuals and practitioners, are you mindful of the language you use? You obviously don't want to bamboozle them too much with scientific terminology or tech speak, as it were. So how are you ensuring that your message is getting across in a way that you desire? So at Kitman Labs, we hire, our division is called performance experts. And so we bring in individuals who have all had field experience for five plus years at least. So performance coaches, physios, athletic trainers, PTs, nutritionists, as simple as like from an assistant all the way up through like a head of performance or a head of sports science for multiple years at an organization. And the nice thing with that is that when we go into these meetings with our our customers is that we're able to then speak the language that they've always speak because we've worked the job that they've worked. Uh, and so obviously I've never been on the medical side of things but if I'm going into a really big customer, I will bring in one of my colleagues who has that medical background. All right, he's going to help you and he's going to assist throughout this process because you guys are going to understand that language talk better than I am. Flip side, right? Same thing on the performance side. If I'm going in with a you know, head of sports science or um, head of performance, for the most part, our nomenclature, our verbiage is going to be the same. We're going to be talking about similar components. Um, and the same when it goes to like head coaches. The head coaches is nice because high coaches, most of us have all worked in like that high performance support staff. So we've all had to report to a head coach and everybody kind of knows, all right, with head coaches, you got to get to the point, really simple, and you just got to give them and deliver on what exactly what they need, right? So the nice thing about having those performance experts is we've all worked in those environments. So our conversations are actually pretty seamless when it comes to that. I will say though, on the flip side, John, is that this group of performance experts coming into technology and talking with like our engineering and our product team, a lot of it is like, uh, okay, I don't know what you're talking about. Could you please explain that to me? <laughs> so it's probably on the flip side of like, right, getting into a commercial business, being like, all right, I'm not entirely sure what that means because I've just worked sport my whole life. Uh, help me out just for a second. So there's a lot of those more funny internal conversations uh, versus, right, we can all kind of, we've worked in that field. So we kind of, can speak with our customers much better, which is why we do employ those performance experts. There's um, obviously a, a movement uh, uh, across sport that, you know, athletes wanting to, I mean, one, they're sort of younger and more used to being around tech, used to being monitored uh, and often, 
you know, potentially have their own device or just there's a bit more of wanting access to the data. How, how often do you find the athletes themselves wanting to see their, their profiles? How much more of a, a change has there been in recent years about them taking ownership of that information? Yeah, that's a really good point because that's an ever-evolving conversation and it will continue to evolve as data and information is more readily available. And once again, it's all organization dependent, right? So if we're working with a large organization at like the conference or the top level, right, maybe they're the ones who are dictating all of the decisions for the clubs or the teams that we're working with on an individual level. But then they have their own policies with data sharing with the athletes or what the athletes are allowed to see. So in our role specifically, we are working with the organization, not directly with the athlete. So more of that falls specifically to the organization and how they want to share that information. I will speak from personal experience, though. Um, When I was at CU, I was pretty vocal with my athletes that your data is your data. So at any point that you want to come into my office, sit down, you want to take a look at something, you want to go through something. Absolutely. Like I have nothing to hide. I'm not going to take it from you and then not share it back to you. That's really important to me. Um, And it was touch and go. I I would say probably about 8% of my athletes came in pretty regularly and cared. The other just went about their day. So it entirely depends. This is a sort of a broad futuristic type question. What what, in your uh, experience, you know, as a, as a practitioner, what is maybe an area that you think, yeah, I feel like there's every few years, there's like a, a new trend of performance, things hmm. that are like, oh, everyone's getting like, I feel like we, we just had this year or two where I felt like everywhere I looked, there was a new breathing performance. Um, we talk about <laughs> breath work. Um, I, and there's sort of an ongoing cycle as to what the, the trendy topic is now. But what, what do you see as areas of, you know, fertile exploration for untapped potential? Oh, neurology. We got to figure out how the brain works. I think that's my, that's my biggest one. There's a lot of very interesting research in general. And um, Jason at Clemson, I am going to pop him up for a little bit, has done a lot of really interesting work in his PhD on ACL research in um, neural functions. And so in terms of like the timing of visual um, and cognitive function in terms of ACL tears, right? So there, and I'm going to, he's probably kill me. I'm going to, I'm totally like butchering his wonderful research that he's done. But I think there's a lot of very interesting components when it comes to the cognitive function, as well as then full body response with that in regard to injury, right? At the end of the day, in performance, it comes down to how long can we keep our athletes healthy and playing their sport on the court, right? like peak performance, like how long can we keep you in this peak performance realm? So injury is always going to play some sort of factor in that. I do not think that there is a way anybody can predict, readily predict injury. You can absolutely give factors for a potential indication of injury, right? But we can't say, all right, in this moment, exactly. We can predict that my son's about to fall down a flight of stairs and um, bust his tooth out, which happened three weeks ago, by the way. So there's, right, there's all these things that you just, you can't predict that those certain components, but I think that's a really big sphere. That is, it's definitely, and for heaven's sakes, we could study the brain for years and years and years and still be no closer to an answer, but that's 
right? It's the thing that's kind of making us tick. It's the thing that's making all these decisions that's really controlling um, our movements in general. So that's that's always going to be my big one that I'm going to go back to. One final area for me, based on what you just said, MT, is the balance between training science and equipment science. I don't know if those are official terms or not. Maybe I've just made them up or stolen them from somewhere. But where do you think the future gains are going to be made? You already mentioned neurology there, neurofunction, cognitive function as well. But are there still gains to be made on the training track, the practice facility, as well as any equipment that can be introduced to help collect data and athlete management systems? Absolutely. Uh, There was a great post the other day because NCAA indoor, track and field indoor um, is about to happen. And there was a great post the other day that was just showing shoe technology over time um, and shoe technology in relation to PRs or overall right um, trends within the track. So not only are we talking track technology, shoe technology, training technology, right? All play a factor in people getting faster, right? So, and those are all various components. And so I think that all lends itself wide open to kind of any of those technology bits that can then, uh, you know, go into the cadence. Like, I know there's a lot with shoe technology in terms of like physical strike, like the little chips that you can put in your shoe for looking at strike and gait cadence and things of that nature. It's going to continue to evolve, right? Sport is a massive, massive moneymaker, no matter what you say, right? And however we can continue to evolve the general concept of sport, we're always going to kind of find those little areas of, you know, Joe, you just kind of said it like, well, we haven't really studied breathing in a while. So let's dive into that and see if this is going to make a difference. It's the same with any of these technologies. We're just going to continue to see this wonderful like mirroring of how can we tweak the human performance just slightly because just slightly could be the big difference, right? And so we're just going to continue to see that grow. And what are you most excited about then? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. That's actually a really good question. I kind of go back to this and call me a curmudgeon in my old age here, but it is interesting to consistently say that thinking, let's just think of just performance training, right? There's always new things where it's like, all right, we found this new way to train the body, right? In the weight room. And we're going to, triphasic training is a great example. I love, love triphasic training. I utilized it as a strength coach forever. But triphasic training was essentially just taking the Russian concepts from the 70s and 80s and just tweaking it ever so slightly, right? You know, Caldees might roll over in his grave. He's not dead. But Caldees might roll over with that one when I just said that. Um, but And I love triphasic training. But at the same time, like a lot of the training principles nothing's really drastically changed since those like glory ages of like the 60s, 70s and 80s when strength training really became um, this mainstream popular item. And yes, we've tweaked things ever so slightly, but at the same time, the base level is still the same, right? So I think it's just, it's kind of similar to take a look at all of this of, right? We're all still trying to predict what's going to be the big thing in performance or what's going to take the like performance to the next level. But at the same time, we still always have to remember we're still dealing with human beings and humans in their own right are their own, have their own free will, have their own um, internal, you know, intrinsic motivators or extrinsic motivators, whatever that might be. You can, unless you can tap into that human component, 
right? At the end of the day, the human's driving, driving that boat. So no matter how, the amount of technology we can put onto it, there's still this massive human element that we have to always take into consideration. So I, I don't have an answer to your question, John. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you did get pretty philosophical there. Uh, yeah, sorry. Think, no, it's exactly right. I think that's probably a great place to wrap things up. MT, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, John. Thank you, Joe. I really appreciate it. 